good to be here with you. Uh, let's pray. Great God, um, thank you so much for the way that you speak to us, the way that you show us your will, and God, how you put us in uncomfortable spots once in a while to get us to do the greatest of things. And uh, I pray that you'll be with us during this time, that you will use your word to speak life to us. We pray this in the mighty name of a risen Savior. Amen. Amen. So uh, what I'd like to have you guys do uh, for the next little bit, uh, the title of this seminar is Defeating Repetitive Sin. Um, I'd like to have you think about a, a compulsion, a sin, an addiction, a thing that is the reason that you walked into this room, that thing, whatever it is. It could be any kind of compulsion or addiction or issue that keeps coming up in your life, and I want that to be on the right here on the front of your brain as we kind of go through this, uh, because, uh, and I don't want you to, you don't have to talk to anybody about it right now during this time, there will be a Q&A at the end, but I want it to be on the front of your mind because I want you to think in context of that thing, because you came in this room because I think we feel sometimes beat up by sin, and I want to show you how God delivers a beating to that thing. Because while we do feel beat up by it, God has defeated that thing. And for those of you who are in this room who are not yet Christians, I want you to know that it's impossible for you to win the battle against sin. That's why Jesus lived and died and rose again, because he had to do what we couldn't do. He defeated the sin that we're reminded of daily in our life by what he did in his life and his death and his resurrection. And then he punctuated it in his resurrection by proving he could actually defeat physical death in the flesh, raising from the dead to give us an example of giving us proof that he could actually do that and then evidence that he could overcome the spiritual chasm that we had created by our own sin. So if you're in this room and you're not a believer, know this, you cannot defeat sin. Jesus Christ does. But for those of you who are in this room who are believers who feel beat up by this repetitive issue, whatever that is in your mind right now, I want you to know that you can battle successfully with that sin and win. And I want to show you how, because sometimes we feel defeated by things that repeat themselves in our life. Therefore, we live in this cycle of shame that beats men up. And I want you to walk out of this room feeling a little different today, feeling like you know something maybe you didn't know before, but heard it in a way that gives you clarity on how to deliver the beating to the sin that keeps beating you up, Okay. So to dive into this time, I just want to let you guys know, I'm going to talk for a little bit. I may talk maybe 25 minutes or so. I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to kind of show you a pathway through it, and then I'll, I'll maybe do some Q&A at the end as we have time. So this can kind of be a seminar and not a talking at you the entire time, because I'll talk at you in the next session. Okay, so <laughs> I, I, I just want to have a conversation with you uh, right now, if that's possible. So uh, we're going to back up to the beginning of the Bible. Uh, most of you have been there. Uh, Genesis 1 through 3 tells the story of how actually sin entered the world, right? 
I'm not going to recount the whole story, but basically what happens here is sin enters time and space because we allowed it to enter time and space. We gave it opportunity. A woman was actively disobedient in the garden, meaning that she took action with her disobedience. Man was passively disobedient in the garden. In other words, he allowed his passivity to lead him into disobedience. Does that make sense? So what we learn in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is that we, men, uh, we sometimes allow disobedience to happen. But there's really two ways it happens. We can choose to do it, or we can choose not to do something, therefore do it. Because that's how deceptive we are. That's how cunning we are, how wicked we are. We find the devious ways, the most devious ways, to get what we want the way that we want it. And then we end up blaming other people for that, which is exactly what happened in Genesis 3, right? So you begin to skip forward as you read the narrative of the Bible, and we come to discover that this repetitive cycle of sin keeps beating mankind up. And if you jump forward to Romans chapter 7, which I'm going to read right now, we are going to realize that one of the great men of faith, Paul, he too felt beat up by his sin. So the first thing you got to know is that if you feel beat up by your sin today, you need to know that some of the greatest men who have ever lived felt beat up by their sin. So just let me read Romans 7, verses 17 through 25. Just read it. I may give some color commentary to it along the way. So he, he says, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So he realizes there, there's something in him, this monster living inside of him, right? For I know, he's talking about his mind, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And, and here we get this, this metaphor where he starts talking about this flesh experience, that there's part of living in this shell of skin that makes it really, really hard to live life as God's man. For I have the desire, that's a very important word here, desire, which means a longing or a craving or passion, right, that we have, which, by the way, is what makes men very powerful, this desire. We cannot skip over that word. To do what is right, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Do you see what he's doing here? I want to do it, but I can't do it, right? So he begins to describe this war that's happening within him. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. This is like one of the greatest tongue twisters of the New Testament. You know, I do the thing that I don't want to do, but the thing that I want to do, I don't do, right? And he just, he kind of repeats this for us to help us to understand that there is a desire to do what's right, but there's this flesh experience that keeps him from doing what he wants to do. Been there? Of course you have. That's why you're sitting in the room, right? <laughs> That's why we're here. But you're normal. Every Christian man goes through this. If Paul goes through it, 
then we are going to go through it. And that should make you feel like a normal Christian. He continues. So I find it to be a law. Okay, so a law is something you can't change. A law, a legislation that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, members, the parts of me, members, another law waging war against the law of my mind. Don't forget that. We'll come back to that. The law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, how many times have you been there? How many times in your life have you been there? Fellas, I've been there. I've been there many times in my life where I'm going, why do I keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again? Well, actually, there's an answer to this question. There's an answer to this question. So we're going to jump over to Galatians chapter 5 now. Galatians chapter 5 is really unique because in, in this text here, that you've probably read, some of you guys have been Christians a long time, a hundred times or a thousand times, Paul actually gives the secret to addressing the problem that's way back here in Romans 7. And he's going to describe something here that you've heard time and time and time before, but I want to talk about it in new life. So I'm going to, new light, I'm going to read it for you today, and then I'm going to kind of come back through it describing what Paul is talking about here. So here's the text, Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. He says, but I say... But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Praise God. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. We already understand that. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here they come. You can check them off your list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, robberies, dissensions, divisions, envy drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, do such things. Those are actions. Do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, you know these words, but the fruit, the outcomes of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live this is important if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another or envying one another all right so let's talk about this text because this is the sacred text right here so if you want to understand how to battle successfully with repetitive sin, everything you need is right here in this text. Everything. 
literally everything. So let me describe what Paul is talking about here. He's describing two processes, right? So how many of you guys are process guys, work with processes? Okay, you guys probably saw this right away. There's inputs into two very different processes, right? There's outputs from both of those processes. And then there's things that we do to get ourselves in those processes. At the end of the process on one side, there is law, right? Bondage, death, a prison of self. On the other side, there is freedom and joy and life and fruit. And what Paul is saying here, if you put it in context and wrap it around Romans 7, is he's saying there's this war going on and we got to figure out how do we move from living under the law in bondage to living in freedom. And he pretty directly tells us how to do it. But it all begins with this one thing mentioned in both the text. It begins with our desires. The things that we desire. And that desire is a very important word here because it's where everything begins. It's what are you desiring? Let me read it again. Beginning of Galatians chapter 5, he says this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires, the passions, the longings of the flesh. Fellas, our biggest problem is not our behavior. Our biggest problem is the desires that lead to the behaviors. If you have a behavior problem, you can try to fix the behaviors. You can even actually try to modify the behaviors. But if you don't understand that they all emanate from wrong desires, then you're just moving things around on the board. And that doesn't help anything. Let me say this. And I'm just going to use this as an illustration because it makes a good illustration sometimes when we talk about sexuality, lust, and sexual addiction, okay? So I'm just going to use this as an example right now. It's not the only problem in the room, by the way, because all of us deal with all kinds of different things, right? But let's say this. Let's say that you have a pornography compulsion that you're trying to deal with. You can put filters on your computer but not deal with the desire problem over here. Because Jesus understood that you can move the pieces around on the table, but not deal with the desire issue. That's why he said in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, you say one thing about adultery, but I say another thing about it. And what does he say about it? He says, if you look with the intent to lust after a woman, then you've already done this action over here. So what he's saying is it's not so much just about the action, it's about the intent or the desire that leads to that action. So let's deal with that issue. Because Jesus was always after the heart of the issue. He was always after our desires. Now, don't get me wrong, you can use behaviors to train desires. But if behaviors become your end, you're going to get nowhere. 
And you're going to cycle over and over and over and over and over around this issue day after day after day after day day after day. You know that? This is why we get stuck. Because what Paul is trying to teach us here is quite interesting. I'm not going to read the text again, but you should read it a few times. Here's why. Is he's saying that there are certain desires that we have in our flesh that lead to certain actions. And he gives us a long list of actions here, doesn't he? A long list. Because those are actions. Those are things we do. But then he tells us if we can desire things of the Spirit, there are actions we do. And guess what? Those actions are not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. You know what they are? They're walk, be led by, keep in step with the Spirit. Because guess what those, that list is there in the Spirit? It's produce from walking in the Spirit. So the actions on the fleshly side are sexual immorality, impurity, greed, and things like that. But the actions on the Spirit side are this. Walk, keep in step with, be led by the Spirit, and guess what you get from that? You get fruit. You get produce. Like when you walk through the produce aisle at the store. Every one of those vegetables and fruits, you should know this, you're from California. They are produce of another product, of another process. A process that's unseen, that happens inside of a plant that gives it life right? We're not aiming at the fruit over here. The fruit is what happens from the actions of walking, keeping in step with, and being led by the Spirit. So now, fellas, that's what we got to figure out how to do, is how do we do this, right? So you tracking with me? Everybody following me? Okay, thank you. So check it out. Here's where we've been. We said, Paul is normal, and he's struggling with this repetitive cycle in himself. The battle between the flesh and the spirit, the battle between bondage and freedom, the battle for not doing these things and doing these things, but these things over here are walking, keeping a step with and being led by the spirit so that we get all this great fruit, produce, which is seen from our life. And we're not aiming at the produce, we're aiming to do the activities of the spirit. So now let's jump back over to Romans chapter 8 because it's so good. Because after Romans chapter 7 comes Romans chapter 8. So you need to read Romans 8. Because Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in all the Bible, by the way. There's a few great chapters in the Bible, but Romans 8 is the greatest chapter. It has some fruit in it. So here we go. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Paul then, after this, says this. After he's just gone through this battle, he says... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The battle has been won. Stop condemning yourself. Because, fellas, our biggest issue is self-disqualification and condemnation. Christian men do this more than anybody else in all creation. We live with the greatest amount of freedom, and we condemn ourselves in the flesh. God does not do that, because he sees us through the eyes of of the resurrection and the sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I agree. For this, for the law of the Spirit. Now catch this. The law of the Spirit. Calls it a law here. The law of the Spirit 
of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So what God did was genius. He came against issues of sin in the flesh. He went to the war that we couldn't win. And he won the war in the flesh. Is that crazy or what? Genius move by God, by the way. He's a pretty smart guy from what I read. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk according to the, not according to the flesh, but according, you hear that? According to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have set their minds There it is, there it is again. Set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, set, set, set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. But the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, I love these words here. They're fantastic. I read them over and over again because... Honestly, the greatest, some of the greatest verses in the Bible. But then how do we do this thing? How do we do this thing? How do we set our mind to the law of the Spirit and learn to walk in it? That's why you're sitting in this room. Not just to understand how to battle with repetitive sin, but to learn how to walk in the Spirit. Because if we can learn how to walk keep in step with, live by the Spirit, then we will undo all the work of Satan and his demons and of the flesh on this side of the house. So let me give you a few small, simple principles that will help you to do this one thing. Here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to get honest with yourself. I want you to get honest with yourself about your sin. About two weeks ago, I had someone in my office. I don't counsel people, so don't ask me to counsel you. It was a very special situation, and a husband and wife came to me, and because they couldn't get into a counselor, they begged me to do a couple of counseling sessions with them, and I said, I'll do two. That's it. I'll do two. Both of them were two hours apiece, and basically what had happened is this husband had committed adultery. And his wife found out about it because she was navigating through some of his emails. And found a few pictures on there and some nudity, stuff like that. And I set them down in my office and began to kind of have this conversation. And um, I, I tried to dig a little deep in that first session, but just enough that I could get them to recognize a few things. And... Uh, this woman was fairly well put together, fairly understanding of kind of all the situation and kind of everything that led up to it, was pretty clear about their marriage and where it was at, and even the mistakes that she, was, she had made. It was actually quite beautiful to listen to her talk, confess her own sin, et cetera, et cetera. And then I turned over to this guy, and I just want to let you know, there, there's a, sometimes I look and talk to men who are devastated. This guy was wrecked. 
absolutely wrecked. His posture was all slouched over. His face looked like it had just melted. You could tell he probably hadn't even eaten in the last day or so. Uh, his, his demeanor and, the, and his ability to actually put together even full sentences was, was hard for him. He, he tried to talk, and I told him, you need to, I just said, you need to stop talking because you can't. You shouldn't say anything right now. And then I told them that I wanted them to do a couple of things between now and the next session, a week from then. So they came back, and I was pretty surprised. They did everything that I asked them to do. And uh, they, they went right down the list. And I'm not going to go into the list of things I told them to do, but I was very direct about what I wanted them to do. And I said, don't come back until you've done those things. So they did. They came back, and everything on the list was done. And I sat there, and we kind of had a little bit of conversation. This time, the guy's demeanor was a little bit more put together, right? His shirt's tucked in. He seems to be holding himself together. And, uh, and I asked him how, how it was going. I kind of wanted to hear him articulate it. And he said, well, he says, I, I'm working on things. And he says, I feel like we're headed down the right path. He says, I'm starting to fix some of the things that you told us to work on. And I said, wait, stop right there. Did you just say that you're fixing things? He says, yeah. I says, you, you got this thing all wrong. I then turned to his wife and I says, do you feel like he's fixing things? And she's like, not really. He's just like working to reconcile his issues to make this situation work out so he can get past it. I said, bingo. I turned back to him. I said, you haven't even begun to explore how deep these issues go because you haven't really gotten honest with yourself. And then I turned to him and I asked him a very hard question because I'm, honestly, I'm pretty direct with guys sometimes because I know they need direction. And uh, I looked at him and I said, Okay, if you feel like you're really fixing things, could you please take a second right now just to turn to your wife, look at her, and tell her exactly why you did what you did? And he couldn't turn to look at her. You know why? Because he couldn't say the thing that he knew he'd have to say to her to her face that would hurt her more than anything. Something like, I found this woman more attractive. I wanted to explore my sexual fantasies with someone else. I wanted to feel powerful. I was afraid to ask you for what I wanted sexually or in our relationship, and I felt unfulfilled. And I could tell you it was probably any one of those list of things, and maybe more. But he was afraid to actually turn to her, look her in the eyes, and say it. And this is devastating for us as Christian men, fellas, because the first place we begin to go to war with our sin is by getting honest with who we are to the point that we can actually articulate it and say it. Because guess what? I feel like too many Christian men pretend and hide and conceal the issues of their heart because they're afraid to say what their heart desires. That's where it all begins, by getting honest with your own desires. And if you can get honest about what you really desire to the point that you're willing to confess it, guess what happens? As soon as you confess it, you begin to take power away from that thing. 
because now that desire becomes public and you can't hide anymore. And guess what? God wants you to say it out loud, not because God needs to hear it, because you need to say it so you can recognize that God needs to hear it. But that's how we start to take power away from Satan, who's got a private stronghold in our life over all these desires. we got to get way back here and deal with the intent that's in our own heart and get comfortable with going, yeah, I really want that thing. And I don't know why I want that thing. And it's pretty ugly. And I'm going to have to say it. And I'm not going to like myself after I say it. But if I turn to my wife and I say it, even though I know it's going to hurt, I'm just using this as a continued example here, right? It could be anything. But I'm, I get honest with her and I get honest with me. That's the first step toward dealing with any repetitive sin issue in your life. You just got to start saying what it is, fellas. You got to call it out of darkness. You got to call it out of this private inner prison that it's living within. And you got to speak it out. And it's not beautiful, I know that. But guess what? A man who is honest and open and transparent all the time doesn't care because he's just exposing his heart all the time because that's who he is. And guess what? There's nothing to hide in the confines of our heart anymore because now our desires are public. And God, by the way, knows each and every one of them. And that's where the flesh keeps you in bondage, is in hiding behind the desires that dwell in your own heart. So whatever that thing is right now that you, I told you to keep at the front of your mind, you've got to get honest about why you want to do that thing. Because our bodies just don't do those things because they do those things, do they? I mean, you're sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and you eat too much. Your hand didn't mindlessly just put food in your mouth like this. It did it because you wanted to eat it. So just say it. I want to eat too much so that you don't look like a fool. I'm going to overeat today, and then I'm going to watch football. I'm going to have a food coma. Okay, fine. But that's kind of where it all begins, right? Just kind of confessing it out loud and saying it because our, our body doesn't behave mindlessly. It is a member of our body because we chose to set our minds. Step number two. Number one, you got to get honest with yourself. Step number two is this. This is what it looks like to set the mind and begin to walk in the Spirit. Step number two is this. you got to identify the thing that triggers that desire. There is something that triggers your desires, fellas. Whatever that desire is you're thinking about right now, there's something that triggers it. It could be a, a feeling of loneliness a desire for more. It could be a feeling of losing control, or it could just be a compulsion that you want to act out on because you want something at the end of the road. You've got to figure out what triggers it. And here's the strange part about this, is there's something that triggers all of our sin. There's something that triggers your sin, and you know what? It's vastly different from my sin. But guess what? We all have our own triggers, and only you can name that thing. You know, for some people, that's when they're sitting in the private confines of their home by themselves. For some people, it's when they're out in public with other people. 
For some people, it happens to them at the gym. For some people, it happens to them at work. For some people, it happens to you when you look at your past. For some of us, it happens when we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, whatever you want to. You can use the acronym HALT. It doesn't really matter. But there's a moment that triggers that issue for you. You need to know what that trigger is. You know what my issue is for me? It's my anxiety. I have struggled with anxiety for you. You, you. you wouldn't even know it about me, but I'm constantly struggling with my anxiety all the time. All the time. You know what triggers it for me? I'm going to give you an example so you can kind of identify your own. What triggers it for me is when I say yes to too many things. Because you know what? I say yes to too many things because I want to do more, 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 more. And because it makes me feel good. Therefore, I keep saying yes and can't say no. Because I don't want to disappoint people on the other side. Or I want to build something greater. Or I want to feel more powerful. I want to feel success. I'm just confessing to you right now. This is who I am. It's the ugliness of me. So when I keep saying yes, 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 I begin to feel anxiety. I'll give you a real-life, real-time example of this right now. So I agreed to speak three times this weekend. And then Jason called me and said, will you do this seminar? Guess what I said? Yeah. Obviously, I'm standing here. <laughs> but this morning, I go, oh, my gosh, i got to speak three times in one day. And I go right from this, right to that. i got to reset my mind. i got to think about what I'm talking about next. I said yes to this without really thinking. Right? Just open my mouth. Why? Because I want to befriend Jason. I want him to feel supported. I want to be there for you guys. All those reasons. And then it just, this morning, guess what time I got up? One o'clock. <laughs> I got up at one o'clock to stop, start prepping for our time here. What do you think about that? It's just, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> 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 But I, I do want you to know that, that is my, that's my sin at the same time. I struggle between the tension between the saying yes and the trigger in the moment that is triggered. And then I say things that maybe sometimes I, I, I shouldn't say. And then it gets me caught in my anxiety. So I had to work on my anxiety this morning. So I spent an hour privately just in prayer, praying over my anxiety and issues that might arise from that would come out of these experiences or things that I would do that would be wrong, right? But you got to know that. you got to know that. And sometimes I screw it up, okay? Sometimes I screw it up, but still I know what triggers it. It's those, those moments that trigger it. Here's the third thing that you need to do. This is the most important thing that you're going to do coming out of this. This is going to help you to walk in the Spirit more than anything else. you got to make an advanced decision about what you're going to do the next time that trigger strikes. That's it. This is so remedial, I know. But being able to get honest with yourself, identify the trigger, and then make an advanced decision before that trigger strikes. I want to tell you, when you get into the moment the trigger strikes, your mind doesn't work so well, does it? What does work is all these desires of the flesh. They're powerful, man. So I end up saying, yes, 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 when I should say, no, I'm sorry, maybe next time. Make sense? But I only know to say no if I know when the trigger is going to happen that I take a, a second to pause and I go, what advanced decision did I make last time? Did I choose to make last time that this happened 
that I need to make here. And it needs to almost mindlessly come out of us. And here is how I deal with it. Give me some time to think about it. That's my advanced decision, is to say, give me some time to pray and think about it. Right? Just my little warning signal to myself, by the way. Not to the other person, to me. That's my advanced decision. Now, am I perfect at it? Obviously, no, because I'm here today. Right? (laughs) But... I will let you know, the more that you do this and you make these advanced decisions and actually act on it, guess what you're doing? You are untraining the flesh and retraining the spirit. How cool is that? Because we learn to do things in the flesh. We do these things in the flesh out of these desires because there's rewards. If you wonder why you act and live by the flesh, It's because there's a reward on the other side. Another example from pornography. If I look at pornography and I give it a reward, this is the only safe place I could ever do that, by the way. (laughs) I've lost you. I'm sorry. Put that camera away. (laughs) There's a camera back there. (laughs) If you get a powerful reward, you keep coming back to it. If you wonder why you repeat sin, it's because you're rewarding it. Give it a different reward. That's what Paul's talking about here. By the way, there is not a more powerful reward you could give your desires than the spirit of the living God. That's why I believe it's... It's within us as Christian men, the power of the living God lives in you. It's crazy good. It's so good that if you learn how to do these very simple things here, you'll discover an enjoyment and a reward on this side is far longer lasting than the one on this side. And it's good. But guess how you learn how to do it? Yes, there you go. Walk, keep in step, being led by the Spirit by making a new choice that's rewarded by the Spirit. And then guess what happens? All this fruit comes from your life. It starts to produce from your life. And guess what? You see it because it's produce. It's not the things that you do. It now is the person that you are. And guys, that's crazy cool. And it's crazy addicting. But guess what? You only get to do it one day, one step at a time. That's it. So all you got to do to defeat repetitive sin is to continue to live in that spirit. See, God didn't just give us salvation. He gave us the means by which to live out our salvation. How cool is that? Sometimes we get so caught up in the idea of salvation. Salvation is cool. God freed us from sin. But God also gave us the power to live free from sin so you can actually enjoy this life. Because I believe that God is calling men like us to move from one degree of glory to the next. And it's amazing when it starts to happen. And that's what I hope and pray for every one of you guys sitting in this room. That today you took away this. That the Spirit of God living in me is greater than the Spirit of the world. 
and it can put to death on a daily basis the deeds of the flesh. But you got to want it. You got to want it. You got to want it more than you want those other things. All right. Stop there. You're welcome. All right, I'll, I'll take a few questions around the topic, all right? Uh, I'd love to hear if you have questions or examples. Um, I'll just let it ride. You guys go ahead. We've got a few minutes here. Any questions? Yes, sir, right here. Appreciate it. That's awesome. Tell me your name. Dave. Dave. Thank you, Dave. That's great. Right on, bro. Right here. I think there is a, an aspect of Jesus saying, come follow me, where originally with some of the disciples, they didn't know what they were getting into. But there's de definitively a moment in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9, I think it's about verse 51, where he begins to turn his face toward Jerusalem, and he calls him to a greater commitment, to the cost of discipleship, to, to lay it all down to take up their own cross and follow him. And he clarifies the call there. So I think there, was a, there, there definitely was a period of time in Jesus' life when he said, just come watch for a while. But then there was this definitive call of saying, if you really want to follow, and he cleaned house with this one, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. Because it isn't just following, for, following me for all the good things that I may have. It's following me through the difficult things that I'm going to show you you're going to have to walk through in life. And so there's a, there's a daily grind of this whole thing uh, that, that we, have to, we have to step into regularly. And then thereafter, after he died and rose again, obviously we're delivered the Spirit. And we have to learn how to do things a whole new way. And I think that's the challenge of living a spiritual life is learning how to you know, actively engage the Spirit in our life. Uh, it's just a different way to walk. It's, it's easy to see the flesh and to do the acts of the flesh. It is not easy to see and understand learning how to walk and live by the Spirit. So yes, right back here. And then I'm going to come over here. I think there is recordings of each of these lessons, actually, and after camp is done, they send out an email of all of it. I also have, I don't, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you use Right Now Media, but, so I have probably about, maybe about eight to ten different series on there, and one of them is entitled Defeating Repetitive Sin, and this is just a component of five greater lessons in that study. I want to come over here next. 
using pornography? Okay. Right, right, right. Okay, so let's, I'll give, I'll give you real time. I'm going to make this up as I go, but I'll give you an example. Okay, so let's say this guy over here is addicted to pornography. And let's just say he's, he's addicted to, uh, let's just say his trigger is loneliness. All right? So he finds that he's having imaginative relationships with the idolatry of woman, you know, which is adultery. So to maybe overcome this compulsion, he's got to figure out what's actually triggering that issue in his life. So he's got to get honest about what it is. I'm lonely, and I'm desperate for relationship. So now he's got to decide, now that I'm honest about that, that I've got to speak that out loud, and I've got to figure out when that trigger happens, what I'm going to do in that moment that I feel lonely the next time. So maybe he decides I'm going to reach out to a relationship where I can find companionship in a healthy way. And he's going to start to view relationships differently, therefore become satisfied by that. In other words, uh, you know, maybe for him this could be, uh, I'm making stuff up right now, brother, so I, I don't know if this is going to help you or not, but maybe it is, I'm going to find satisfaction in my relationship with God, understanding my holiness and my wholeness there, so that I don't have to objectify other women over here and find my satisfaction in images, in idols within my own mind. I am now worshiping the God who is relationship to me, who satisfies me spiritually deeper than anything over here ever would, any image ever would. I'm going to find my satisfaction and wholeness in him. And it's learning to move that one activity, one step at a time over a long period of time. And for guys that become very compulsively uh, attached to those images, it's a lot of work. So there's probably a lot of steps between there, a lot of steps. Because, you know, we don't get into these things overnight. We learn these behaviors. We learn them, and we train ourselves. So it's going to take a lot of steps to get out of it. Maybe not as many as it took to get into it, but it's going to take steps to get out of it. And that's just one day at a time addressing the sins and the desires of our heart and learning how to walk toward fulfillment in Him, not satisfaction in the flesh, whatever that means. Does that help at all? It does. Okay, thank you. There was a question right here, and then I'm going to jump right here, okay? Yeah, Yeah. so like in, in a situation like that, I knew how to push pretty hard on that without breaking his spirit. Because uh, you want to be careful about that. But in that situation, what that guy was doing was he was hiding behind his fixes. He felt like in one week's time he was making progress in his marriage. And I'm like, dude, bro, we're talking about a two-year turnaround on this thing. And we haven't even begun to talk about how your wife feels about you right now because she's about to go strangle that woman. I mean, literally strangle her. I'm sure she had been on social media. She had found out who this woman is. He was the lead supervisor at a major organization. He was the HR department, and this woman was a subordinate. And both of his sons worked at this company. Even worse. So this woman is, like, forgiving him, but because she's forgiving him, he feels like he's getting over it faster. And I'm 
Like, bro, you got a lot of work to do. So I think there's situations that you, when you know certain things, you should be a little bit more direct. I, I, I work with guys all the time, and I will tell you this. Guys don't understand things unless you tell them directly what you want them to do. If you speak, sometimes you speak to guys in theological terms, they don't understand. Philosophical terms, they don't understand. It can't be theory for a guy. You actually sometimes have to tell him steps, right? That's why I gave you actually steps today, even though I'm trying to train you to walk in the Spirit. It's about your desires. We've got to figure out how to get there, right? So sometimes you've got to be a little bit, I think, direct. Don't be shy about doing that. And sometimes, just for the sake of saying it, sometimes I think we're too soft, And I think we're far too soft more of the time than we are strong, especially in our culture today. Question right back there, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's take an example of anger. So there's probably guys in this room who struggle with anger, right? Um, yeah, so you got to figure out, you know, for you, what's triggering that anger? Is it, is it, I feel out of control? I want to feel powerful. I want to be in control. My family doesn't listen. And when I get angry, they actually respond. Because fellas, anger works sometimes. It works. I know entire family cultures built around one person who's angry or one person who drinks. I mean, entire cultures in our family systems are built around these ideas. So for that person, I would say he's got to work on or she has to work on what is actually triggering that moment. But they've got to be willing to get honest with themselves. And that's the hardest part with some of these compulsions is the person that actually initiates all the, the sin and suffering is really unwilling to get honest with himself. So like a guy who's angry, I would say, you know, he's got to really get honest and say, well, anger has always worked for me. And I know it does. Because I watch my wife submit. I watch my kids run. I watch my employees do what I want them to do. When I get loud and angry, go over-aggressive, they respond. So it works. So you gotta, that's got to stop working. <laughs> you know, if you work for an angry boss, you want it to stop working, don't you? You work for a narcissist, you want them to stop, don't you? But the only person that can help them stop is themselves, and they got to recognize that they're craving those things, that they want those things, and are using those things for their own advantage, right? So it's different for everybody, brother. I'm sorry, I can't. The specifics of it are so narrow sometimes that, honestly, you don't know unless you kind of lead them through it. Sometimes it takes years to understand it ourselves, right? It's been true for me. I saw, I'm going to go right here, and then I'll come back here to you guys, yes. Great. I hope you all heard his question. How, how honest, how transparent, how open do we go? All right. Tell me your name. Thomas. Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. Um, so let me say this. I think, it, I think for guys, we have to be retrained to be transparent, okay? And it begins by maybe finding a single brother that we share with. And then over time, we're able to talk about that more. I'm going to give you a, another real-time example. Uh, another guy, 
many years ago, came to me. I know, this is another counseling session. So I do not do counseling, okay? <laughs> I do, do not call me. <laughs> so, yeah, I retired. There you go. So he came to me, this is about seven years ago, okay? He came to me, another, another affair, a guy who worked in sales, uh, medical device sales. Uh, he took off with another woman, had an affair, his wife found out as well. And one of the things I encouraged him to do is to get honest about why he did it. And he did. He got real honest with his wife about why he did it. And they spent a couple of years working through the issues. But each year, I met with him once a year after that just to check in with him. And I said, have you talked to other people about it? And he said, no. The second year after that, I asked him again, and he said no. And I said, you got a problem, because you need to start talking about this with other people. What they had done, him and his wife, is they'd concealed the issue because they didn't want anybody to know at church, because they were ashamed. And living behind a prison of shame is dangerous. We just read about it. It's bondage. It's to live under the law. God wants them to experience freedom. So in the second year, I told him, you need to start talking about it. You know why he needs to start talking about it? Because the more you start talking about it, you take power away from it. And guess what? This is the coolest part about honesty and transparency and openness, is that when we speak it out, we suddenly realize that what Satan had used against us, God will use for us in his kingdom. Because guess what? There's men and women out there who have been in bondage to these kinds of issues that they need to be sharing their testimony with that might lead them to freedom. So there is a point at which, yeah, we might start with an inner circle, but Thomas, at some point, it's got, we got to go public with it. Because when we go public with it, incredible ministries have begun because one man got honest with himself and spoke truth to the world. There's prison ministries that started out of that. Addiction ministries that have started out of that. All kinds of recovery issues that started because people started talking about it. And that is the biggest kick in the growing from God to Satan right there is when his man can openly confess and talk about his sin. It helps everybody else. Okay, I, how much time do I got? It's 9.58. Anybody know? Five? 15 minutes. Okay, thank you, brother. Right there, all the way in the back. Yeah. Has that, can you stand up for a second again? Has that, can you explain just for a second? I want to, it's kind of a testimony. I, can you explain to men how that has changed your spirit? Just the spirit of who you are. Very good. Okay. If we got 
a couple more questions. I'm going to come back. To, tell me your name, sir. Rob. Thank you, Rob. Right here. How, how do we, so the question was, how do we guide others to help them to keep away from it? So I would say this, the thing that would probably work best for you in this situation is talk about the places in your life where you've struggled and how you have found your way out. That is the testimony right there that everybody wants to hear, is the testimony of, I used to live this way, but now I live this way. Here's the why behind it, and here's the how I do it. And we can't miss the why. The why is Jesus. That's pretty easy. Team Jesus right there, right? The why is Jesus, but how we do it, we all need an understanding of because it's easy to train yourself to walk in the flesh. It's hard to understand how to walk in the spirit. And we just have to show them one step at a time, one day at a time, one conversation at a time. And I would say, don't give up on that young man because I was that young man. A lot of these kids, a lot of these adults in here were that young man too, looking for sound advice from an older man right here. Man, dude, you're good. What's your name? Justin. Okay, Justin, I'm going to answer you with the text I read, but I intentionally left this off for this moment, okay? We're going to end with these words here to you, and then I'm going to explain it in a little bit. But Galatians chapter 5 says this, verse 25 and 26, it says, if, if, conditional, if, we live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us, then he says this at the end. It's so interesting. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the most important verse in this text. Let me tell you why. Because here's what happens, Justin. We start to address these desires of the flesh that lead to all these outputs, right? And then we learn to walk, keep in step with, and be led by the Spirit. Now, we start to enjoy this, and we start to see the fruit of it, right? But the fruit is tempting. The fruit will sometimes tempt us in the Spirit to think that we did it. But we didn't do it. The Spirit did it. While we were walking with Him, He did it. Then, Paul says this, Let us not become conceited, arrogant, thinking we did it, provoking one another, poking each other, envying one another, again, pride, right? In other words, as you learn to walk in the Spirit, Justin, the hardest thing to do 
is to stay in the spirit because pride is always lurching, right? It's always calling us back to the flesh. It's trying to stay here walking in the spirit. Fellas, that's a battle every day right there. Justin, that's where you're at. You're normal, bro. It's not going to get any better than that. It's not. It's not going to get any better. Now, you might produce more fruit in your life, praise God, but it ain't you producing the fruit. It's the Spirit's fruit. Leave it alone. As soon as you think, I need to become more loving, you're wrong. You need to walk in the Spirit. God allows love to emanate through you. You're a conduit for God's resources. That's what we're trying to figure out how to do. It's not become a more righteous person, even though we will grow in righteousness from one degree of glory to the next, eventually being glorified in him through his righteousness in us, his righteousness, not our righteousness. If we could just stay in this little spot right here, life would be grand. Oh, man, it would be so good. But we're dumb. You know, God knew we were slow. And because he knew he were slow, he said, let's just take it one day at a time, bro. Take it one day at a time, one step at a time, one moment at a time. And here's the best part about doing life with God one step at a time. You do one step today, and you do what God has called you to do today, and you act in righteousness today, walking in the Spirit, and then you do it tomorrow, and then you do it the next day, and then you do it the next day, and over a lifetime you look back, and you look at what God has done. And often it is glorious, because many are your plans but God orders your steps. It is that way on purpose to keep us from becoming conceited and arrogant because as soon as we think we've got it, well, we don't because God's got it and we ain't and we just walk with him one day at a time. I'm going to end right there. I'll see you in there. Give me a few minutes to prepare if you would. <laughs> Let me pray for us though. Uh, great God. We are a group of men in this place right now, right here in this room, who just want to walk by your spirit. God, right now in this room, in our minds, we are confessing our sin, our repetitive issues, the things that we desire that are wrong. God, we confess right now in prayer that we want those things for all the wrong reasons. We bring them to you as a sacrifice. Remove them from us as far as the east is from the west. Make your spirit greater in us so that we might walk in your ways. Make your spirit and the rewards of the spirit so powerful and so drawing in us that we will learn to look repulsively at the desires of the flesh. That God, we will never go back to them. As Rob said in the back of the room, we will never walk in them again because we can't see them, but in this ugly sense. And God, we confess all this to you knowing that the power of the living God dwells within us in this flesh that you want to use to bring glory to your great name. It's in the name of a risen Savior we pray.